Hello friends, Tom here from wherever you are tuning in. I want to welcome you. Uh, before I jump into the message today, I want to share a bit with you about kind of an update of where we are in, in regards to finding, or I should say trying to find, gathering space for Sunday mornings. Uh, we are still diligently seeking every option we can possibly find, like calling and seeking and Google searching and everything you can think of. So uh, there's a couple different options that we've explored that just that, that would not work for us, which was a disappointment. Um, but there's still a handful of other options that are on the table that we're exploring currently. Um, but all that being said, we are going to continue to seek, um, first and foremost, the Lord. We're going to pr- continue to make our request known to God to provide for us a space to, to be together and to praise him together. We've been, man, we've been missing this so much as a church these past several months. But I, I want to encourage you and ask you, continue to pray. Um, one of the things that I am convinced of as I've been praying these past several months, specifically about gathering together on Sundays to praise him together, um, I'm convinced that God has something very special for us. Uh, I believe that he's doing something in the meantime. God's not absent. He's not holding out on us. Um, we don't need to like pray harder and try harder to get him to provide something for us. No, that, that, that's the opposite of our, our familial relationship to God, his fatherly love for us. It's not something we earn, okay? We don't earn blessings from God. Um, but make no mistake, God is cultivating something in us as a people in this season. And I believe he's, he's, he's wanting to strengthen our praise muscles um, as we are separated, as we are divided where we're not all together, like the ecclesia, you know, the total assembly, all of us as a church, I believe that he's wanting to strengthen our praise muscles and, 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 and kind of like us as a people in our, in our gospel community, our Lord's Supper gatherings, those types of spaces, even you by yourself in your bedroom, be like a regular rhythm of, of, of us as individuals and as kind of smaller groups scattered throughout the valley um, of praising him. And that when we come together, I, I really believe it's going to be this incredible, joyous, celebratory um, moment where there's intimacy between God and us as we offer him praise collectively together as an entire church. So I say all that to say God's not holding out on us, but continue to pray. I'm convinced that not only does God have something for us and the perfect timing for us as a church, and I want to seek him for that, but I also believe that he's cultivating something in us even right now. So we don't need to worry. We don't need to be overly concerned. Um, we, we really can trust him and press into him in this season. Okay, so uh, more to come on that. And so we are in the 50th message in our series where we're going through the gospel according to John, Jesus' closest friend on the earth, um, his, his eyewitness account of the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And so um, as we've been going through this series, we've been, we've been wanting to examine as much about Jesus as possible. The whole point of this series is Jesus is. He's so many things. There's so many facets to who he is. And I'm convinced that what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing in our life. Because what you believe, it actually influences and determines how you live, your behavior. Okay, and we live in wild times. We live in challenging times. We live in difficult times. So I cannot think of a more appropriate season for us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look to him, to examine him, so that our beliefs, what we, what we, what we trust to be true, 
can actually be informed, like our actions can be informed by what we trust to be true, what we believe. So all that being said, I'm going to jump in here today. We're going to be in John chapter 16. Before we jump in, I'm going to pray for us. So will you join me? Uh, Father, I love you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for being with us now, Lord. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to point us to Jesus right now. You would help me. I ask you to prepare hearts and minds for people tuning in or listening right now. We desire to experience you, the truth of who you are, and our relationship that that we can have with you because of Jesus. We love you, we need you, we look to you now. And we ask you to guide this time. Amen. Okay, so John chapter 16, I'm going to start here in verse number one. Here we go. Jesus says this, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Pause for just a second. We need to review these things. What are the, these things that Jesus is saying that he told his disciples? The, these things, he's basically recapping what he said to his disciples in chapter 15, okay? This should sound familiar to you, but he told them that he is the true vine and that they are the branches. And he says, the person who remains in me will bear much fruit. Okay, just like a branch is connected to a vine. He tells them that apart from him, they can do nothing. Okay? He says, he tells them to, to love one another as he has loved them. So Jesus is the standard by which we should love, right? He tells them, you didn't choose me, I chose you. It's this beautiful picture of the pursuing love of God. He tells them, finally, that a mark of a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus, is that you will be hated like he was. You'll, you'll be oppressed or even persecuted like he was. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's, let's keep reading here. Verse 1, I've told you these things, those things we just went through, to keep you from stumbling, he says. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will, be, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Pause for just a second. In this moment, Jesus' disciples, they are they're more concerned about what Jesus says is going to happen to them than the fact that their, their teacher, their rabbi, their Lord is leaving. Okay, it's self-protection. It's all about them. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, the counselor is talking about the Holy Spirit. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict, convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, 
but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He, the Spirit, will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. That is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Okay, so much stuff here. Okay, amazing passage. So much, uh, so much Trinitarian theology happening here where it's like this blend of like the oneness of, 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 of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, yet the distinctness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, right? The beautiful truth of the Trinity. Now, I'm not going to go into that today. That's a whole other message. But either way, I want you to see that like uh, side tangent here. The scriptures are always so full. The depth of the truth of the word of God is like, it's never ending, okay? What I want to talk about today in this passage is is really three things, okay? And the first one is this. Jesus says something in verse 7 that jumps off the page at me, okay? I've read this a hundred times and it always jumps off the page at me. And he says this, it's better for me to go away. Now, you maybe have heard me say this before, but I cannot think of anything more spectacular than being with Jesus in the flesh. Okay, like that's like my life's dream. It's like if I can have anything in the world, I just wanna be, I wanna be next to him. I wanna like, I wanna touch him. I wanna hear his voice. I wanna like, I wanna engage with him. I wanna talk to him. Like I wanna be next to him. Like (laughs) that sounds like the best thing ever. But Jesus says something to his disciples that he says it's better for me to go away. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? Okay, let's talk about the Trinity for just a second because it'll help us answer that question. Why would he say it's better for him to go away? God has existed eternally. One God made of three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Existing eternally before the the universe or the earth is created, okay? Not only has God, Father, Son, and Spirit, not only has he existed eternally, but, but Jesus, the Son of God, right? Uh, prior to taking on flesh, he existed eternally. And it says that all things, the Bible says that all things were created by the second person of the Trinity, the Son, God the Son, and for him. Okay, listen to uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For everything was created by him, talking about Jesus here, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, listen, all things have been created through him and for him. So the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, exists eternally, okay? He creates everything. And then he enters into his creation in human form. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, says this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Listen. Who, existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God to be su- as something to be exploited. That word exploited means kind of like to be held on to, okay? Or to be grasped, like it's taking advantage of it, right? It's not to be held on to. Verse seven, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Okay, this passage is referring to the beautiful biblical truth of Jesus' hypostatic union. Okay, that that term hypostatic union, 
it's a fancy theological term, and basically what it means is it just basically means the reality of, of that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Like he was both of those things simultaneously. Okay? So, so God the Son, here's what I want you to see, the second person of the Trinity existing eternally, God the Son, he didn't stop being God when he put on flesh, when he came to earth, right? But he did actually put on flesh. And along with that, that means that he took on human limitations, the limitations that human beings experience, okay? So for instance, a human body and everything that comes along with the human body, like Jesus, God the Son, he becomes a man, he puts on flesh, he has these human limitations. Now he has this body that can be injured, like he can stub his toe and experience the pain that goes along with that, okay? He, he can experience aging, Right? He's a baby who then ages. His body ages and becomes a boy. And it ages some more and becomes a man. All right? His body would, would get tired. Jesus isn't like an X-Men. Like, no, he, fully God, fully man. He gets tired. He, he's fully God, fully man, but he has all these human limitations. And Jesus says, it's better for me to go so that the Spirit comes. You see, the Spirit of God does not operate under these human limitations. Okay, for example, Jesus, God in the flesh, right? <clears throat> human body. He can only be at one place at one time. Okay, so his ministry of, of going around the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem and the area there, like he could be at one place at a time, but the Spirit of God is not bound by one human body. The Spirit can be present in Temecula, in Hong Kong, in London, and in any other place in the world all at the same time. The Spirit is not subject to those same human limitations. And therefore, it's better for Him to come. Now, there's some implications here. Okay, I want to talk about some of these implications. Look back at verse 12. It says this, I still have many things to tell you but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, do you see what Jesus is saying here? Okay, the first thing, I, this is important. He tells his disciples, he says, there's more things I have to tell you, okay? There's more things for him to tell his disciples, but here's the thing, he's leaving. So he has more things to tell them, but he's leaving, all right? Now listen, I want you to understand what Jesus is getting at here. So we have this timeline, right? Jesus knows that he's going to be crucified, he's going to be put to death and murdered, he knows he's going to rise again and then ascend to be with the Father, Okay? He's also told them that he'll come back from the, for them. So you have this in-between time, right? That he's, 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 he's telling them in advance. This in-between time, in between his ascension to the Father and his second coming, right? When he, when he ushers in the fullness of the kingdom of God, the renewal of all things. That in-between time, we're in that in-between time, okay? It's been over 2,000 years now. We're in that in-between time. And he says... I have many more things to tell you, okay? So while he's gone, while, like before he returns again, he says that the Spirit 
will speak to his people on his behalf. Do you get the picture here? So listen to me. Jesus is still speaking to his people. How? Through the Spirit of God. He's still teaching. He's still leading. He's still guiding. He's still healing. Jesus is still ministering, speaking to his people through the Spirit of God. I really like um, J.D. Greer's language. He's a pastor in uh, North Carolina. He wrote a book on the Holy Spirit called Jesus Continued. I love that language. It's perfect. It's simple, and it explains exactly what the Holy Spirit's up to. Jesus continues. So listen to me. If you are a disciple of Jesus, hear me say this. He has more things to tell you. And he's speaking through his Spirit until he comes again. Now, maybe some of you are turned off by what I'm saying right now um, because you've heard someone say something uh, uh, like, you know, God told me, fill in the blank, and it was totally ridiculous. And listen, um, as much as people will abuse that language, you know, God said this and he told me this or whatever, like God spoke to me, that might very well be true in some cases, right? But here's the thing. We have a way of knowing if it's untrue. Okay, we have a way of knowing if it's untrue. God still speaks through his spirit, friends. He still speaks through his spirit, but he never, ever contradicts himself. Okay, he never says anything that contradicts his word, the things that he said prior. Okay, he never says anything that contradicts his word. Listen, the Bible, the Bible is the standard by which any and all revelation from God is judged. Okay, so, so in other words, if what you're hearing spiritually, okay, God's clear, Jesus is clear here. He's, he has more to say, right? He has more to say to his people, to his disciples, and he's going to say it through his Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if what you are hearing spiritually, if it violates the Bible in any way, it is not of the Spirit of Jesus. It is not of the Spirit of God. That's not who's speaking, Okay. Now, this passage, it gives us some examples of some of the things that the Holy Spirit says. I want to talk about those, okay? Like the workings of the Holy Spirit. He lists six things here. I don't know if you caught them. He lists six things that the Holy Spirit will kind of communicate or do. All right, I want to go through these really quickly, really quickly. The first one he lists here is that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world about sin, he says. Now, that word convict, in the, you know, it's translated convict into English. It was originally in Greek. That word convict, that, that, that's a good translation, but it's not a complete translation. Uh, it, it could also be kind of translated as convince. So it's this interesting kind of blend of convict, but also to convince. All right? And what? To convince about sin. Man, we as people... We don't like talking about our sin. We don't like acknowledging the ways with which we fall short or the ways with which we reject God or disobey him. We don't like to acknowledge those things. We try to avoid coming to grips with the reality of our sin. And the reason that we do it is we want to avoid the feelings of shame and the feelings of of, of feeling guilty and all this stuff, right? But listen to me. 
The gospel is good news, friend. The gospel says that sin is forgiven by the blood of Jesus once and for all. That if you trust in him, that his, the, the, his perfect life and his perfect or his sacrificial death in your place, it, it covers your sins. It washes them away. It no longer defines us. So for the Christian, becoming more aware of sin, it goes hand in hand with becoming more aware of God's love for you. What, what we tried to avoid like, like COVID or the plague, this idea of becoming more aware of sin, now becomes, for the Christian, it becomes a thing of, it becomes a, an area where you learn more about God's real love for you, the lengths that he was willing to go to, the depths, right? The weight of your sin, it shows the weight of his love. It says that, that the Holy Spirit will convict or convince the world about sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus says here. Listen, you need to know something. All sin, every sin that you could possibly think of or ever commit, all sin is a result of believing a lie about God. Something about God not true, right? So here's an example for you. A person steals, right? A guy steals. Why? Because they don't believe that God will provide what they need. They, I mean, think about it. Like God says, God says, if I feed the birds, if I take care of the birds of the air, if I meet their needs, like surely you, you are of more value to me than the birds. He says, if I meet their needs, surely I'll meet yours. But a man steals because he believes that God won't. Right? All sin is a result of believing a lie about God. A woman disobeys God by eating the fruit of a tree in a garden because she thinks that God is withholding good things from her. But that's not what's going on. What's really going on is that God is withholding bad things from her. All sin is a result of believing a lie about God. Okay, the next thing here. Now, Jesus says that the Spirit will convict or convince the world about righteousness because I am going to the Father. What does that mean? Okay, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's talking about the righteousness of the world versus true righteousness. Okay, he's saying the righteousness of the world is not actual righteousness because it's imperfect. So this idea of righteousness is to be acceptable. So you can have like a perfect righteousness and a false righteousness. All right, so in other words, here's what I want you to see. Perfection is impossible to achieve for the imperfect person. Okay, it's like this idea of... of uh, being perfectly clean. You remember those uh, zest commercials if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s? You're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean. This idea of being totally perfectly clean is impossible for the person with even the smallest stain of sin. The imperfect cannot be perfect. Okay, so Jesus is touching on the imperfect righteousness of the world versus his perfect righteousness, okay? Okay. He's saying righteousness is impossible to achieve. That means you can't do anything to earn it as an imperfect person. It must be credited to you, and it must be credited to you from a perfect source. That's his message, okay? Listen, righteousness is a gift of grace. It's not something that you can earn. If you could earn it, it would be a false righteousness, Hopefully you're getting this. This is, this is really important, okay? Righteousness, it must be given from a perfect source. And that's what Jesus offers. 
He offers a perfect righteousness. He will credit, he will trade you his perfect righteousness for your sin and the consequences of it. It's the great exchange. And he kind of qualifies it here. He says, I am going to the Father. He qualifies his perfection in that statement. I am going to the Father. He will be accepted into the Father's presence. Okay? Only perfection, only perfect righteousness, holiness, only truly, only the truly righteous are accepted into the Father's presence. The next thing here, he says that the Spirit will convict or convince about judgment because the ruler of the world has been judged. Again, he's contrasting things here. He's contrasting things here. The perfect judgment of God with the broken and the selfish judgment of the world. One commentator says this, quote, The world's judgments are erroneous and evil, as was supremely demonstrated by its rejection of the Son of God. But while the world is incapable of judging righteously, or rightly, the Spirit always does so. He's saying when God judges, God judges perfectly. When the world judges, I mean, think about it. When we judge people, in your worst moments when we judge people, we judge them based on what? The outside, the external, on, on how they look. We judge people on how successful they are. We judge them on what they have to offer us. We judge them on the outside. God judges differently than the world. And he says that, he, that Jesus says that he'll send his spirit to convict or to convince the world that the way the world judges is not right, but rather the way that God judges is true and right and just. The way the world judges is erroneous and evil, but God's judgment is just, it's good, it's righteous. The other thing that he says is that he would guide, that the Spirit would would guide you in all truth. Pretty self-explanatory, right? He says that he will speak on Jesus' behalf. And finally, he says that the Spirit will declare what is to come. Listen, does all this stuff sound familiar? It, it, it should, okay? It should because this is exactly what Jesus has been doing in John for 16 chapters now. He's been doing all this stuff. He's been convicting and convincing the world about its sin, about its false righteousness, and about its erroneous and evil judgment of both God and people. Hear me say this. The work of the Holy Spirit is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus that is no longer bound by human limitation. That's why Jesus says it's far better for him to go so that the Spirit could come. It's a continuation of Jesus' ministry that's going worldwide, everywhere. Not just in and around Jerusalem. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every continent, Every country, every city, every state, everywhere, man. And it happens in his people and through his people. Friends, this is why it's so important for the church to spend regular time together in person. I know COVID's you know, wreaking havoc and all that stuff. I'm not trying to downplay that. But I, I need you to hear me say this. It is so important 
for the people of God to be together in person. Why? Because it's a greater concentration of God's Spirit who dwells within them. It's a greater concentration of Jesus' ministry continued through His people, filled with and informed by His Spirit. Do you see this? The continuation of Jesus' ministry. So I'll close with this. My friend, do you have the Spirit? Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says this. Speaking to Christians here. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He's saying if you don't have the Spirit, you're not yet a Christian. So this begs the question, like, how do you know if you have the Spirit? Jesus says it's better for him to go and that he's sending his Spirit to his people. But how do you know if you have the Spirit of God? Listen to me. You know you have the Spirit of God if you're picking up Jesus' message. If it's coming in. If you're hearing it. If you're deciphering it, if you're picking up on Jesus' message that all sin is a result of believing a lie about God, if you have a growing awareness that righteousness is a gift of grace, it's not something that you can earn, if you see that the way that the world judges is erroneous and it's evil and it's opposite of the way that God judges, if there is a growing awareness of both your sin and God's gracious love that covers it, Why? Because the weight of your sin shows the weight of his love. In the most simple terms, how do you know if you have the Spirit? You know you have the Spirit if you trust Jesus. A disciple, what do they do? They look to their teacher. They listen to their teacher. And Jesus says he sent his Holy Spirit on his behalf to speak. Friends, Jesus is still speaking to his people. He's still teaching. He's still leading. He's still still moving. His ministry continues. How? Through his spirit. Do you have his spirit? If you do, are you listening to him? Are Are you allowing him to lead you, to guide you every day, everywhere, in every moment? If you don't, if you don't have the Spirit, my friend, what's stopping you from receiving Him? Jesus is still speaking to His people, and He's doing it through His Spirit. His ministry still continues, and it happens through His Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask you, I ask you to make us more aware spiritually. Right now, even in this moment, make us more aware of of your pursuing love, of the lengths that you've gone to to demonstrate and to declare your love. For us as an individual, would you make it personal? That's the work that you do, Holy Spirit.
You convict of sin and you convince of love. I love that. I pray for anybody who's tuning into this right now, anybody who does not yet have your spirit dwelling in them to lead them, to guide them. I pray that right now in this moment they would receive your Holy Spirit, knowing that there's nothing that they could say or do to earn it. They don't have to pray the right way or look the right way or act the right way. Like, no, it's, it's grace. But I ask, Holy Spirit, would you invade the hearts of anybody watching this right now who has not been sealed, hasn't been filled with your spirit. Would you point them to the love of Jesus for them, Holy Spirit, in a profound and transformative way. And I pray for all of us that we would be men and women who orient our life around listening to and obeying the Spirit of God. We need you, Holy Spirit, every single moment. So if that means that our life is too cluttered to listen, I ask you to remind us to slow down enough to tune in to the frequency, to hear from our teacher, our Savior, our Lord, our God, Jesus, through his Spirit. We love you, we need you, we trust you. We ask and pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, hear me say this, you are not alone. The Spirit of God is with you. Receive Him. Listen to Him. Let Him guide you. And in this moment right now, I'm going to hand things off to the band for a time where we can respond in praise. Let the Spirit lead you in praise right now. The ways with which you can declare gratitude, thanksgiving, the goodness, the glory of who God is, of what He's done, and what that means for you personally. The Spirit's the greatest worship leader of all. So enjoy Him. Love you very much. Grace and peace to you.